Welcome to episode 93, Gumprunners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Jeremy Law, Lester Mitchell here with you. Following Alabama's 26-20 huge road win over the Texas A&M Aggies. A game where, honestly, the more I thought about it, guys, I texted y'all after the podcast, after we released it, just throughout the week. And the more I broke the game down, and, of course, I, I, was, I was texting y'all the same thing. I said, I just, I just don't see – how Alabama can win the game. I mean, you, you saw the dominance on the defensive line. That was prevalent throughout the game. I think Alabama ran for like 23 yards as a team. I think it was like minus 13 in the second half. Just an insane number. Milrow sacked, um, what, another six times or whatever it was. And uh, I just I, – I didn't see how Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow were going to be able to find a way to put the ball in the end zone um, consistently enough to to beat Texas A&M. Defense was elite again. Um, Jayla, I think you mentioned that they give up 20 points, but, you know, they had a long punt return. And, uh, and then there's a, another, you know, a couple of penalty-led drive and then maybe one more to to really get A&M down inside the, uh, down inside the 30 with a chance to score. But another elite performance by the defense. Um, nobody in the national media – was picking Alabama to win this game. Just about everywhere you looked on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it was, TV, um, you had a lot of national media talking about how Alabama or Texas A&M was going to win this game, and Alabama did something that I didn't think they could do, and a lot of other people didn't. A lot of others didn't think they could do as well. They go on the road, beat a really tough A&M team. Um, Lester, just general thoughts. About the game. I mean, whatever you want to start with, of course, we're, you know, we're going to get into our weekly breakdown of Jalen Milrow's performance, Tommy Reese's performance, because that's the two biggest concerns I think we have with the team, along with the offensive line. But just general overall opinion of the game, Lester. Yeah, man. Um, I can't wait till this team puts it all together. I think the thought of it is very um, interesting, exciting. Um, cause when you think about, you know, averaging what two yards of rust, they only had 29 yards rushing, um, fumbles, turnovers, um, bad penalties, un- being unplaying, undisciplined. The thought of Alabama cleaning up half of that and tapping more into that potential is exciting. Now it is going on week six. At this point in the season, your team is kind of they are kind of who they are. But this team is a legit national title contender if they can just clean up the silly stuff, man. Um, if they can do that, golly, I I don't see like I said earlier in the uh earlier in the season, there's not a team that is less talented than Alabama that will that will beat Alabama. It'll have to be a team that's on par or better, and based on recruiting and Nick Saban, Alabama has all the advantages, you know, talent-wise in the country on this here roster. If they would just clean up the little things, the false starts, God, that's got to be maddening. Um, but look, I'm, I'm trying to be positive as I can, and I feel like if they continue to get better, you see this team continuing to grow um, playing more together, the defense is incredibly nasty. You see Milro getting better. 
um, it's exciting, and it's it's going to be really, really fun to see this team and how they are down the stretch. We know the deficiencies, but also we know the potential of what they could be. If they continue to tap into that potential, this this team may be something special. Yeah, this is the first time where watching the game, I was really had a deep thought. I'm like, it's Nick Saban listening to the Gump Runners podcast weekly. Um, you know, he he goes to the leg race, which is something that I brought up, that we brought up last week that I really like to see on the road. Uh, you know, it's very hard to hear a clap. And Alabama goes to the leg race right after we talk about it. They also did the clap, which I think could have been a little confusing. I'm not saying that that was the reason for the pre-snap penalties because there were nine of them. So I, I'm really – that's a little confusing to me why that we did the leg race and the clap. And uh, I, I wish they'd have just either done one or the other. Um, it, like I said, it could have been the cause for a couple of the pre-snap penalties, but nine is way too many. There's plenty of stuff to clean up. Um, but Jalen Milrow goes over there. It was obvious that AM's game plan was going to be to pressure Milrow, um, especially from the right side, the side that he likes to roll to. They were going to make him beat him with his arm. Uh, one of the – the one of the better things that Texas A&M did was they eliminated the scramble opportunities for Jalen Milrow. They knew that he liked whenever he rolled away from pressure, he goes to the right. So they brought a ton of pressure off of the edge to the right side and of escaping instead of escaping to the middle of the field where it was open. Sometimes Jalen would roll right into the pressure and, and cause a lot of those sacks. Um, and, and so their game plan was to, to pressure him, make him beat him with his arm. He did just that. Um, offensive line held up about as good as they can against the five, six-man pressures. And I think Tommy Reese did a great job of getting his guys open so they can make easy catches. And uh, Milrow throws for a career high. I think he had six completions over 20 yards. Um, analyze analyze his uh, his performance here and what you thought about Jalen Milrow on the road. First of all, I would like to name this podcast if possible the Tommy Reese Appreciation Podcast. There we go. Because, and Lester hates Tommy Reese still, but we do not win this game with Bill O'Brien. Also, we can name it the Coordinator Appreciation Podcast because we do not win this game with Pete Golding because A&M scores 34 or more. How many times have we seen this season the defense come out, make adjustments, and completely forced the other offense to be stagnant in the second half. And how many times did Pete Golding fail to do that? So first of all, big shout out to my boy, Tommy Reese. I've been a little bit easier on Tommy because I know that Alabama as a first-year starting quarterback, a guy that struggles to read defense, a guy that struggles to be consistent in the intermediate passing game. We go on the road in front of 108,000 fans with a non-existent run game, a non-existing run-blocking offensive line, running backs that can barely pick up a blitz, and Tommy Reese puts Jalen Milrow, the worst thrower of the football, at least in the inner in the consistent, and I guess consistently the worst thrower of the football of the Nick Saban era outside of the deep ball and wins this game in a one-dimensional offense against the best defensive line in college football. 
Shout out Tommy Reese because we do not win this game with Bill O'Brien. We probably win this game with Lane Kiffin and Sark. I get it. But Tommy Reese, we know he's not on that level. Comes out, puts a plan together, quickly learns that, hey, the run game just isn't going to fly. Yeah, you got to try it. So what does Tommy Reese do to open up this defense? We throw that damn ball as far as it will go out of Jalen Milrow's hand, and it completely changes the ball game. I think it was our second drive, the deep ball to Burton. We get loose. We go down, tie the ball game up at 3-3, and then, and then Jalen Milrow gets comfortable. And then the Texas A&M defense is guessing. So I love what Jalen Milrow did in this game, and I think it's all because of his offensive coordinator. Not, not, not all of it, but 80% Tommy Reese. Y'all got to realize it's been a long time since we had dudes running wide open. Bill O'Brien did it with J-Mo. It happened. He's the fastest guy in the field every single time. But the route trees that Chase talks about, the 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 simple play actions, I don't even know why they bid on a play action. We ran them. I don't know why because, I mean, we're not running the football in the second half. But what Tommy Reese was able to do in this game with Jalen Milrow was completely impressive to me. One of the most impressive performances by an Alabama offensive coordinator over the last couple of years, because we don't have an elite quarterback for the first time in a long time. We have good receivers. Jermaine Burton, when healthy, looks to be really good. But a huge shout-out to Jalen Milrow. Steps up, takes hit after hit, delivers on deep balls. Yeah, he made some boneheaded plays like we know he's going to make every single game. Yeah, he threw an interception that should have been a touchdown. But this Alabama offense, over 300 yards through the air, off the right arm of Jalen Milrow, against the defense who knew that we could not win by running the football. Man, super impressed, super impressed. And the trajectory right now is up. Tommy Reese stock up, Milrow stock up. <laughs> now teams are going to have to respect us throwing the ball. I would not be surprised if Alabama started to run the ball pretty well over the next couple of weeks. And it starts this Saturday because we're playing a really bad Arkansas team. Yeah, and that's a good point there is you have to throw to set up the run. And when you're one-dimensional, there's nothing you can do. It's, it's whenever Jalen Hurts was a quarterback at Alabama, he was one of the uh, – one of the best running quarterbacks in the country, but good defenses, they didn't have to respect the deep ball. And that's the difference between him and Jalen Milrow is, you know, Jalen Milrow can throw the piss out of it downfield. Um, he's either he's either really good or really bad. Uh, yeah, he was 21 out of 33, which is really good, man, 63%. You, you'll take that all day long on the road. But, man, you rewatch this game, he still missed four or five easy throws inside of 10 yards. This guy could have easily been 23, 24 out of 33, which would have been around the 72, 73% mark. Um, a, a good thing, though, he took a sack on the first drive outside the numbers, and then later, might have been the next possession, you know, scrambled to his right and threw the ball out of the way or threw the ball away. It looked painful, and it was kind of funny watching it. He just kind of shot put it out of bounds. But that's that's a positive because he's being coached on it, and he's also taking that to the field. He's taking his coaching, and he's getting better in that aspect. So you hope he continues to improve there. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he was. I always thought he was tremendous, especially with the fact that he wasn't able to get a lot done on the ground, especially in the scramble game. Which, you know, um, like I said last week, he's been he's he's been the starter in like four games before last week, and I think he was the leading rusher in three of them. And I think the one he wasn't, he and Jace had like 45 yards apiece or something like that. But, um, yeah, Jalen Milrow, just tremendous job on the road, doing what he had to do, making big-time throws and big-time situations. He didn't panic in the pocket, which is something that I thought he might get. I thought he might get happy feet. 
and, um, you know, create some phantom pressures like he did against Middle Tennessee State and really against Texas was the game where he created a lot of phantom pressures because he was pressured a ton, and he was pressured a ton in this game. And instead of, you know, bailing early, I think he did a really good job of kind of maneuvering the pocket, not necessarily stepping up, but kind of just kind of buying his time and then making throws um, off his back foot, maybe running to his right or whatever. Just a tremendous job by him on the road in a very, very hostile environment. Lester, you're our Tommy Reese guy. Um, J-Law's been the highest on him out of us three. I was really down on him last week. I did not like the plan. I didn't have any faith in him um, having a good plan this week. But this is the first time in a long time where I thought that Tommy Reese was thinking like us. You run for negative 13 yards in the first half. Sure, sacks are included in that, but the running backs were getting nothing done on the ground. And so, I mean, it's easy for us to just say, just abandon the run, screw it, just throw it. And if you lose throwing it, I mean, at least you tried. And I'll be damned if he didn't come out of halftime. Seven running seven running attempts by our running backs in the first 25 plays of the second half. That's 72% pass, 28% run. And, I mean, the first drive he comes down, I know he threw the pick, but I think we went past like five or six straight plays. And Tommy Reese said, screw it. I can't get anything done on the run. It's a wasted down. What's the difference between second and 10 and second and nine? Not much. And uh, so this is the first time in a while that I felt like an offensive coordinator made the right adjustment at halftime. It's something that we rarely saw Bill O'Brien do. And uh, it's something that that was a very positive or that was a positive for me watching Tommy race. But what was your overall performance of Tommy in this game, Lester? Yeah. Um, so disclaimer, I'm in about three separate group chats with J-Law and every one of them. He made sure to make uh, a, a, a Tommy Reese reference trying to egg me on. But, yeah, I, I told him I was going to I'm going to be positive today. Um, my my biggest issue with Tommy Reese is. This this team, we should not have to grow with an offensive coordinator. That should not the University of Alabama should never been that in that situation where you have to grow with an offensive coordinator. But um here in you know week five, week six, um Tommy Reese has grown up pretty quickly. Um he's he's making adjustments. Um things that uh you saw in this past game were things that he was not doing previously this season. Um I don't know whether that's coming from you know his growth as the OC. Um, him trusting his players more, which I think that's that's the big part of it too. Um, Milro getting better, um, more experienced, more advanced, and you know looking off safeties and making the right calls and making the right um, reads and things like that. But yeah, the guy he's 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 getting good. Um, as J Law says, Tommy Reese is getting in his bag. Um, I think a couple play calls. A couple of designs, a couple of things that I would like to see the team do could be implemented still. But as 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 far as the game goes, um, he makes great adjustments, like you said, uh, the short run versus the short pass. But I think that you can transition from, you know, first and ten and running the ball to first and ten throwing the ball if Milro gets better. If he does not get better, then you're still stuck in the same situation. So I think as the team gets better, as the wide receivers get better, Burton, Hale, some of the younger guys, you may start seeing Tommy Reese trusting his personnel and doing a couple different, um, more creative things with his offense. 
Yeah, Jermaine Burton was the number one read on a lot of plays, and it was open a ton. And I think he did a great job with him. Jayla, I want you to comment on this too. One thing I saw was Burton was one of the tops in the SEC coming into the game of um, depth per target, I guess is the stat. Uh, basically, he's running the, he, he's, our, he's our deep ball guy. So his whenever he runs a route, he's running it 15 or more yards, almost – as much as anybody else in the SEC, if not more. I don't remember exactly where he was ranked. I want to say he was at least top five in depth depth per route, you know, yardage ran. And um, I think Tommy Reese did a tremendous job. He hit him deep earlier. And then the next three or four, he, like, sat him down to where the corner was just bailing because, you know, that's what he's seen on film. That's what he's taught or that's what he's being told is – Whenever Burton takes off, he's running a deep route. And then he, and then Reese continued to sit him down, sit him down, sit him down. And then boom, in the second half, you run the little the little sit and go route where he was wide open and Milrow completed. Um Milrow completed it. So just a, a tremendous job by Tommy Reese and Jermaine Burton, a guy who, I mean, we we thought he was a good player. We didn't think he was anywhere near elite, and we still don't think he is, but you catch for 200 yards the most by an Alabama receiver since Devonta Smith in the national championship game in 2020. Talk about what Burton did this game, and do you think this is something that we continue to see moving forward with him being a huge part of the game plan? Yeah, I think just the same with Jalen Milrow goes with Jermaine Burton. You're going to have to live with the really good plays, and then you're also going to have to live with getting a first down and fumbling or potentially picking up a 15-yard penalty. But, I mean, if he's <laughs> the guy's going to go nine catches for 192 tutties, I'm going to take it all day. Um, no, listen, I, I thought that Jermaine Burton was the number one read at least on maybe his first four catches. I got I rewatched until the end of the third quarter, so maybe his first six catches. He's, he's the number one read. A&M. Not sure what they were doing because right after his third catch, I would have been like, "This guy's doubled." We're not—they're not looking at anybody else, forcing to look at somebody else. But hey, listen—if he's your first read and he's open, I'm—I'm I'm cool with that. Don't make the second read. So I mean, yeah, Jalen Milrow did what he needed to do, delivered the ball to him. Even the one that got knocked out of his hands, I thought it was just a good play by the DB. Stuff like that is going to happen. I think it was like a third and nine, and we kicked a field goal. Maybe we punted. Can't remember, but. I just think overall, man, Jermaine Burton, like, he's going to be your go-to guy. They said it in the broadcast. Gary or whatever his name is said it that Saban says that this is our number one guy when healthy. What does that mean? It means Alabama got to feel really good about their depth at receiver. Isaiah Bond is open. Um, Cubby Prentice got – it seems like he's re-jumped Jalen Hill and also Kendrick Wall. So maybe that third wide receiver spot, a lot of people are, are vying for that. But right now, Bond, Burton – I mean, you really like what you have at tight end. A couple plays to hit Nye Black open. One time Milro made our 6-6 tight end leap and stretch for a ball on a third down that should have been a first down. Another one again, uh, if you wait half a second, if you throw it a half a second earlier or half a second later, it's a touchdown to Nye Black. But I was really impressed with Jermaine Burton. Thought he did a great job. I thought he brought his A game in. Um, but that's, I think, consistency for Jermaine Burton is what we want to see, right? Because he's shown us some flashes in the past Tennessee game last year. Dude, Jermaine Burton was our guy. I mean, he was open, making plays. Can he stack three or four of those games together? I mean, this weekend, obviously not. We probably won't need him to have a big game. But you get Tennessee at home by week and then LSU. You get through LSU, you're winning the West. You know, LSU will have two losses. 
Alabama's not going to lose two conference games after LSU. You get through LSU, you win the West, you get to Atlanta, you see what happens. So, I mean, overall, I don't know what you guys think, but, I mean, I was the biggest Holman Wiggins hater going into this year. Like, him and Freddie Roach, I don't care what Saban did with these guys. But right now, Tim Keenan's playing like Quentin Williams. Our wide receivers are – do they have, like, one drop on the year? I mean, they don't have many. I mean, th those two position groups are playing lights out, and they were going into the year probably the ones that we had the most question marks about outside of who was going to start a quarterback. Yeah, and that's what everybody was saying. Uh, you know, you get scrimmage reports and drops are an issue, drops are an issue. Nick Saban is talking about it in uh, post-practice press conferences. That, you know, we, we had less drops today, but we're still having too many, blah, blah. So, it, yeah, it's it's rightfully rightfully so that you think that Holman Wiggins was a big problem um, but, you know, what I've always said is he can't go out there and catch the ball for him. I mean, you know, or, or super coach, you, your hands are kind of tied. You can teach him how to run better routes. You can teach him how to get off releases, but you can't go out there and, and, and make the plays for him. Um, so they've done a tremendous job. And, you know, quietly, Burton having such a big game kind of hides the fact that Isaiah Bond went for 100 yards as well. Uh, the slant and go. First play of the second quarter coming out, and that was a, a second or third meet or read for Jalen Milrow. Um, that was probably, to me, his best throw of the day. Now, it was a duck, and he underthrew him because you don't want to overthrow that guy when he's that wide open, so I have no problem with that. But the fact that he stood in the pocket, he got good protection, and he didn't waste it. And what that means is, like I said earlier, the phantom pressure. He could have bailed out. He could have felt – you know, maybe thought somebody was behind him, somebody had gotten free, but no, he stood tall in the pocket. He looked right, looked right, then looked back left, and then he didn't hesitate. And that's that's the growth that you're seeing with Jalen Milrow, and that was a great play call, play design by Tommy Reese. I, I don't know if the read was to look right and then go back to him, but it certainly didn't look that way. It looked like the, the read was to the right, and then Milrow did a great job of finding Isaiah Bond, but a big day for him as well. So Alabama pass catchers are really coming along, and – um. They're just getting better every week. And when you have big games like this where, you know, two of your guys are going for 200 yards, that's uh, that really says a lot about them. Um, offensive line, Jaden Roberts slides in for Darian Dalcourt. J-Law, um, Lester did he, – he told us before the podcast that, look, guys, Lester's got a tough schedule. He works night shift. Poor guy had to work the night after the Bama game. So, he's got to get his sleep hours in. So, he he didn't get to he didn't get to watch some of the game live and then hasn't been able to rewatch it. His dad's been up there bugging the mess out of him, and so uh, and so we we have to kind of deal with Lester. He doesn't have too much information on the game right now because he's been so busy. So Jay Law, I'm gonna go since it's an offensive line question. I'm gonna go back to you because it's kind of specific. Jaden Roberts filling in for Darian Dalcourt. Kind of grade them. You know, you, you give up the six sacks. Um, but they weren't a lot of four-man pressures from A&M. Every time there was a four, maybe five-man pressure, I thought the offensive line held their own. This is something that Cole Kubelik said in his, his Sunday takeaways was that the offense didn't really get beat in one-on-ones as much, as much as scheme pressures, meaning, like I said earlier, coming off of the edges and uh, maybe letting some of those guys go, protecting the inside a little bit too much. And um and then of course Milrow rolling right into him. So just kind of grade the offensive line. Talk about Jaden Roberts sliding for Darian Dalcourt. Um you you told you told us earlier that you didn't even notice that he would that uh that Jaden Roberts was playing for Darian Dalcourt. So obviously no drop off there. Darian Dalcourt's been, you know, we we haven't we've disliked him for a couple of years now. 
So kind of graded the offensive line, Caden Proctor, Seth McLaughlin, Elijah Pritchie, you know, the same old guys, basically everybody but Tyler Booker and J.C. Latham. I think those are the only two guys on the offensive line that are holding their own right now and playing SEC caliber football. football. Um, so grade the offensive line for me in this game on the road. Huh. Well, Seth McLaughlin, let's go ahead and start there. I'll grade him. Killed me. Does Alabama have four snap infractions in six games? Uh, yeah. I think if I go back, there has been not maybe not infractions. There has either been Seth McLaughlin moving the football early for a snap infraction or snapping the ball at the wrong time in four games this year. That's unacceptable. More low snaps back to Jalen Milrow. Dog, even if you don't know when you're supposed to be snapping it, can't you just snap it at the waist or to the chest? Stop snapping it low. And Darian Dalcourt, man. I didn't know he wasn't out there. I mean, I was, I was, I watched this game at a place that had no cell phone servers on County Road Seven in Clay County, Alabama, on a farm. So I couldn't even text you guys. I had to go outside, climb a tree, just to fire off a couple halftime texts to the new Cold Beer Fantasy Football League uh, group text. So I didn't know he wasn't out there. But what does it say about Darian Dalcourt that a guy who has played garbage time comes out? probably plays better than you, than you have ever played at at guard or center for Alabama. thought Jaden Roberts did a phenomenal job. Honestly, I didn't even see him move on TV on either his, of his false start penalties right there at the end of the game. Like, if he flinched, man, it was like a very minuscule. Thought he played well. I thought Proctor did okay. There's a rotation in there. I was listening to uh, Jimmy and Clint on on three, and they were – Kind of saying, and it makes a little sense that Proctor's just not in good enough shape to play a whole game. And that's why you have this rotation right now between 74 and 57. And it could be true. Makes a ton of sense right there. I didn't even think about that. Bingo. Because I would think, like, you stop rotating guys, essentially, unless you just think Caden Proctor is so good when he has stamina that he's almost like a – a DB that also plays offense and you only put him out there on third down to make sure you get the stop. But I thought, man, I thought Pritchett was all right, committed a penalty or two. I thought um, a couple times, you know, some guys got blown up. Seth McLaughlin for sure. Even on like, I think we were running, running right, maybe a little counter play. We pulled the tackle. Seth McLaughlin's guy gets blown up into Caden Proctor, knocks Caden Proctor off his block. We end up getting a half-yard loss or something. But in the second half, for what these guys were asked to do, man, I'll give them a B, a solid B. Yeah, we tried to run the ball a little bit. It wasn't going to work. But they gave Jalen Milrow just enough time to sit back and deliver. And even just looking back at it, going into this game, if if somebody would have asked you, Chase or Lester, whose offensive line actually plays better in this game, you would have taken A&M 100 times, 99 times out of 100. Alabama's offensive line actually played better in this game than Texas A&M. Dude, we hit their quarterback six. We pressured their quarterback 16 times. Jalen Milrow got pressured seven times, sacked four. And a couple of those times, you could say Milrow just took a sack when he could have thrown the ball away. So, I mean, our offensive line played better against the best defensive line that money can buy in college football then there's played against Tim Keenan, Justin Igboybe, Tim Smith, who's never done anything, and who the heck else are we running out there? Our offensive line was better. I thought that I, I think that says a lot coming out of this game. Did we did we give up six sacks? Was that right? Was that correct? Was it six sacks? 
It was, but it was almost like Milrow got sacked on every pressure. Let me put it that way. Yeah. So when they got pressure, they sacked him. But we were in Max Johnson's face all night. Yeah, and he only had you know one scramble uh, that turned into yardage. So you got to think that's that's about what forty dropbacks, roughly you know around forty dropbacks. And of course, you know you you shouldn't give up six sacks ever. But I kind of. I want to say they're getting better. I want to say even though they did give up six sacks, even though they can't move anybody off the off the uh, line of scrimmage, I still want to say they got slightly better. I'm not going to sit here and say that they went from a a, a C plus to a B plus, but I, I would give them maybe a B or B minus, kind of the same as you, because um, there's still a ton of dropbacks, um, especially when A and M knew. You know, you can kind of pin your ears back and just. Once they they knew early in the second half that we were abandoning the run, they just kind of pinned their ears back and came after us. But uh, defensively, Lester, defensive halftime adjustments has has have been huge in the in the Ole Miss game and the Texas A and M game. I think it's what like three points, maybe six points between the two games. Um, out defense just been absolutely locked down in the second half. I mentioned last week that's something that we haven't seen under Pete Golding, uh, and it's something that, that Kirby Smart did really well for the most part. Jimmy Pruitt did a really good job of it. The elite coordinators on the defensive side that Alabama has had have been able to make those halftime adjustments and really shut teams down in the second half. We talked last week about how the motions have, have plagued Nick Saban and his defensive staff for the last two years, and um, and we, we, got a, we got a text from a, from a listener that said, Maybe he thought that was a, a, a result of Pete Golding and the stuff that he was trying to run. And I said, you know, we'll see. And um, obviously now you look and the pressure that Alabama was able to get, there was nobody running wide open, um, just so solid on the defensive on the defensive front. Um, the second level and the secondary all playing as one, did a tremendous job. Lester, what did you think of the defense in this game? Those guys – are an elite unit. How about this? You want to know who led the team in tackles? Probably Caleb Downs, because that dude is a freaking dog. <laughs> Caleb Downs is a monster, but that is incorrect. We have been so tough on this defensive line all year long. Tim Keenan the third, the sophomore, actually led the team in tackles this week. That's probably a reason why AM didn't run for 20 yards. Look, these guys, we've what has been one of our main criticisms of Alabama the past couple of years? Development, Pressure right? Pressure with four. Pressure with four. But over, as far as, as team goes, development. Where are the young guys? Why aren't the young guys contributing? Well, you have Caleb Downs, a freshman, and Tim Keenan the third, a sophomore. Those two guys led the team in tackles, young guys. They weren't doing this to start the season. That is development. That says that Steele and company and um, T-Rob, all those guys, I know J-Law hates the defensive line, Roach, but something is going on, and these guys are getting better. They are contributing. That is so important, and that's why, um, you know, even if, you know, the offense doesn't always – isn't always on their A game. This defense is always going to keep guys in the, – they're always going to keep Bama in the game. 
you know, with, you know, creating pressures, creating turnovers, things like that, and their deep, the depth. You got um, James Smith, you know, another highly touted five star, getting reps in, playing a lot. That thing that that that's important as the season goes along. As you've said several times, you know, if you're playing as a freshman, by the end of the season, you're not a freshman anymore. And I think you're going to have um, a couple situations. Uh, or you can a couple players who you can apply that to this year, and it's great to see this defense will lead this team. And uh, I believe this this defense can is the national championship caliber defense. The offense just has to do their part, and I think they'll be ready to roll, my guy. Yeah, Ken, Tim Keenan also a uh, not only was he a three star coming out of high school, he was an in state. Yes, I think he yes. was a late take. Uh, he, I mean, I can't remember if he was an early commit or not, but. Definitely one of those where if you're an Alabama fan, you look at recruiting, you're like, man, damn. You know, because, I mean, Alabama fan, you, you want somebody in the top 100, the top 150 every single time. And then you get this guy that's like 450, 500. You're like, man, damn. You know, there's just maybe you can stay on campus. And by the time you're a redshirt senior, maybe you can be a, a, a role player or a rotational guy. And then, like you said, Tim Keenan being this – Third year, I think. Not only did he uh, was he a three star coming out of high school, but his senior year, he had a knee injury, um, significant knee injury that that ended his season his senior year early. So he came in way behind um, physically because he wasn't able to do anything. Those lower body injuries on those big guys can really hurt. Um, and so, yeah, the development that he's gone through has been tremendous for us on the defensive line, and finally, it's showing. And um, you hope they continue to improve. Caleb Downs, another interception. This guy, and, and it comes two plays after Jalen Milrow um, had his only interception of the game where he floated a ball over the middle, and the safety made a good read on it. Um, maybe a little bit more zip on that ball, and Jalen gets it in there. Or maybe it's either batted down at worst. But nevertheless, two plays later, Caleb Downs makes a huge play. Coming up on the check down route, um, when Max Johnson got pressured again, threw it off his back foot, threw it behind the guy, and Caleb Downs makes a tremendous play. Um, J Law, Deontay Lawson plays in this game. Malachi Moore goes out, and you don't see any um, you don't see any drop off in the secondary. I think that's another thing that, that's huge because if you look at the defense and you look at two guys at Bama, you're like, okay, if this guy goes out, we might struggle. Um, either on the second level or the back end. And those two guys are Deontay Lawson and Malachi Moore. Those are the the leaders of that linebacker course, the leader of the secondary core. And yet, you know, Deontay doesn't play against Mississippi State. Alabama doesn't miss a beat. Malachi goes out in this game. The secondary doesn't miss a beat. Talk about how big that's been for the defense in the last two games. Yeah, and I think those were some of the – a lot of the things that we were, I guess, worried about this defense for – I think you just look at Pete Golding and you say this guy was just in over his head because what Kevin Steele has been able to do from number one, second half adjustments, number two, moving guys around to cover up for Deontay Lawson not being out, Malachi Moore. I mean, Deontay Lawson being out, Malachi Moore being out. And number three, just developing those other guys to be able to step up. Like Lester just said, like over the last few years, like, um, somebody goes out, man, dude, who the heck's coming in? Like, we 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 were barely good on defense with our starters, much less UAB transferred Jalen Key or Trey Amos or whoever the heck it is. I, I, the mentality shift on this defense, I think, is go get it. I'm a dog. 
let, let we're going to go win this game. And so just what we did with the, on defense with – still a banged up Deontay Lawson, by the way. Probably got his ankle shot up, whatever. But with Malachi Moore going out, I mean, I had a bad feeling in my stomach about where Alabama's going to go from a, a DB perspective. But, I mean, I they mixed and matched some guys. It helps when you probably have two of the top – you have the number one corner for sure, Terion Arnold – Top 10 corner in college football. I mean, I might be going in over myself, but there's the number one duo in college football, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, Caleb Downs making his way up to be already being one of the best safeties in college football. So just the overall development of this defense, how good they've been in the front seven, and what Kevin Steele has been able to do. I think as a CEO, I thought that was the mo- one of the most important things this year. Kevin Steele is not a position coach, dude. He's not wasting time coaching somebody. He is putting together game plans for if they do this, we do this. And if they do this, this is going to be our adjustment. And I think that, dude, they're catching on quick for what the other teams is doing. And these halftime adjustments, is that's what Cole Kublik, McElroy, all these other guys have been saying in the last couple of years is Alabama has not been as good out of the locker room in the second half. And other coaching staffs have called up to them, whether that's Kirby, Jimbo, whoever they're talking about, even Brian Kelly after last year, this year, what Tommy Reese just did in the second half of this game, I was probably the, one of the most impressive things I've seen from an Alabama OC since Bill O'Brien carved up Georgia. He had one good game plan in two years. But Kevin Steele, what he's doing, man, that's lights out. Alabama's given up 13 second-half points since the Texas game. 13. Incredible. Lester, Anaya Smith had some choice things to say about the – University of Alabama football program and talking about how they're not as good as they were six, seven years ago when his brother played there and, uh, you know, says some, says some choice things about Nick Saban as well. Um, kind of the icing on the cake, I thought that, and and I know you probably didn't get to see this play, but Anaya Smith, I thought, played a tremendous game against Alabama. He makes a good catch towards the end of the game and he's going to go score. He drags his toe out of bounds. And what's funny is I think that really hurt their chance for a comeback. If they scored there, that makes it a 26-24 to game with just over three minutes left, and they have all three timeouts. So they can kick it deep. They know Bama's not going to put it in the air. Um, they'll they'll stop us in three plays and get the ball back maybe with two and a half minutes with a chance to go down and kick a field goal for the win, much like they did in 20, 2021 when they beat us 41-38. to um, But he drags his toe out of bounds – Defense makes a goal line stop. They made him run four more plays, and they kicked a field goal to make it 26-20 to 20 with just over two minutes left. And a guy was watching the game, one of our listeners of the, of the show, he, he actually pointed this out after it happened. He said, man, that, that could have been a huge that – that was a huge play right there because that took a whole minute off the clock. And um, then, of course, you know, uh, Anias and Saban goes and finds him after the game. What do you think was said there? And – you know, no, neither one of them commented on it. But if you're Nick Saban, do you jab at that guy a little bit? Or, I mean, or do you just – because Saban kind of went over and found him. And uh, it might have had something to do because he coached his brother, and I'm sure he, know, he, he knew him through recruiting and all that stuff. But what do you think was said in that, in that meeting on, in the middle of the field after the game? I don't know. I hope told him. I hope Nick told him to look up at the scoreboard. <laughs> well, let me ask you: If you're Nick Saban, what would you have said? I don't. I don't. I don't know. Maybe 
I just like, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> there's there's not there's not much to say after after you beat somebody, but I think um Nick did go over and ask him how Maurice was doing. Because I remember at the time the whole thing was going on, it was a big stink. Um, especially going around, you know, Alabama and Nick not letting the guys transfer to Georgia and all that, yada yada yada, which Nick did the right thing, by the way. But um, you know, another thing kind of about the scope of Bama and, 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 and the college football landscape is it's so it's disheart not disheartening, but it's weird seeing other teams so confidently coming at Alabama, so confidently making comments against Saban or the past or things like that. It's just it's just weird that you know when we were in school, which kind of frames our mindset of how we do this podcast. Um, it was always the utmost respect for Alabama. But when Jimbo, I think, beat Bama, that kind of took down the armor. And when Bama, you know, went through a couple struggles here and there, that kind of took down the armor, and it gives teams confidence coming into play Alabama. And I think that's why we get frustrated a lot because, you know, like I said, when we were in school, well, you know, from 2011, 2012 to – well, I finished in 2019, but you know, you know the football that we saw up oh, close yeah. and in person. Um, it's different now, which is why we are so hard and you know so judgmental against these guys now. But you know, I, I think that you know they're going to get back to that. But college football isn't is it's not going to be the same how it was, and you're going to see more guys like Anaya Smith, you know, weekly coming out against Bama because they know that. You know, they're not acclimated to like the Kevin Steele defenses and you know the Tommy Reese's offenses. So they're Bama's going to have to get back to being dominant to shut some of these people up. As a roundabout way of answering that question, they're going to have to get back there, and I think they're on the right track. Is that why you think that is? Just because Alabama hadn't been dominant? That's the way I look at it. Is the yeah, and look, you know, it it took. Ten years ago, it took an act of God. Literally, it took a kick six to beat to beat Bama. Yeah. Johnny Manziel having a you know fumbling the ball around, finding guys open in the end zone. Um, Chad Kelly ball going you know tip passes. It, it took fluky plays for Alabama to lose, and now they're just straight up getting beat. I mean, last year you know yeah you can talk about the Phantom Pi uh, down there on the on the Kool Aid interception in Knoxville, but that whole game I mean they gave up fifty two points. They got their ass beat, and yep. you know. Self-imposed penalties, the same thing that's happening. So, do you think that's the reason? Do you think maybe it's the the new generation coming up, or maybe a little bit of both? Just a lot of things. It's 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 a combination of both. Like I said, we will never see um, the run that Alabama was on when we were in school. That's that's never going to happen again, and it's because of NIL, the NCAA, the college football landscape, the powers that be. They've done their job, and which is they've created a parity. No more or no longer are you going to see, you know, a five-star been backed up by five, five-star five being backed up by five-star. That five-star, that number two guy, if he ain't playing, if he ain't happy, he's going to get his bag, he's going to take his ball, and he's going to play for the team across the state, across the conference, across the country, whatever. So, you know, this, this, this parody has been created, and it's a money game now. Like, you can't – for talent that you could in the past. Now, you can make NIL to your advantage, which is, you know, what we've been hearing that Alabama will do this offseason. 
but the days of that complete dominance, fellas, it's 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 over. I hate to say it because I was there. I watched it. Y'all, you, J Law, y'all were there. You've watched it up close and up and in person, and it was great. But those those days are, are long gone. I don't think we'll ever see a team. Um, Kirby's in the middle of it right now. But that's what I was gonna say. I mean, the days when his run is over. But yeah. see, Kirby's in the perfect situation, though. Right. He is the young, energetic, upcoming coach. He's got Georgia to give them every single thing he's wanted. He's he he Kirby built it pre-NIL and it's just accelerating in the NIL era, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um I think it's one like 21 straight over there, back to back natty. So hopefully, yeah. But you know, that team has holes too. I mean, they had a good yes, game in yes. Kentucky, but how good is Kentucky? You beat Florida at home, who last time they went on the road got dominated by Utah. They beat a, a, a middle of the road Tennessee team, I think, uh, at home. And so, how good is really Florida? So, Kentucky beats Florida pretty good, and everybody gets gassed up. And then Georgia just waxes them. I mean, they're one dimensional so far this season. So, but, you know, Georgia goes to Auburn and, and squeaks one out against a team that's got like 15, 20 group of five transfers. And that's basically the group of five team that Hugh Freeze has over there. And, uh, and, and you know, they take Georgia to the wire. So, um, yeah, hopefully that's, you know, they hopefully they just don't win three in a row. That's all I want. I don't care if they go 13, right. 15, <laughs> one this year. Just don't win three in a row because it's never happened before. Alabama's done it four or five times. And uh, and that's just something that I, I don't want to happen. But um, J Law going into the Arkansas game, Alabama's a nineteen point favorite. Is there anything to worry about here, offensively, defensively? KJ Jefferson in his twelfth year at Arkansas. Um, Dan Enos, the new office coordinator, is like emailing, getting into arguments with students about uh, students and fans about how he's how he's calling the offense. Is there anything to worry about here? Do you think Bama covers the 19? I don't know if they cover 19, man. That's a big number, number one. Number two, we don't score a lot of points. I mean, we're still back in – we still did not score 30. And, you know, we would have if they no-block kick or, or they don't call the kick block back or Milro doesn't throw a pick on that play and I play, but we still don't score 30. So if we score 35 in this game, what does that mean? We got to give up less than what 15? Yeah. I mean 35-14. 35-14 ball game. But Arkansas is bad, guys. And this isn't an Arkansas team that's sitting around with three losses, two losses, thinking they can upset Bama. This is a really bad Arkansas team that really struggles on defense. I mean, AM scored 40 plus on these guys. Um, KJ Jefferson's good, but dude, he has no weapons to throw to. Um, man, other than the tight end, I don't know, man. Arkansas is just not, but they're on a four game skid and they're not going to win this game now. So, does Alabama cover? I'll say no, Bama doesn't cover, but I because I could see this being a 34 to 17, 34 to 14. Well, 34-14 would be a cover, huh? Who knows? I just don't think they cover. I don't think they cover, but I do think they win handily. I like uh, I like Arkansas scoring around the 13-14 mark. Um, I'm going to say Bama barely cracks the 30s. I think my score prediction is going to be 31-13 Bama, which would not be a cover. I'm going to say Arkansas on the points. Um, I think Bama wins by, would that be 18? I think Bama wins by 18. So I think they get right at the number. Um, 
And, you as, know, I mean, as who we knows? go as we go through this year though, does Bama need this to be like a sexy win? Do they need to score a lot of points in this game? Because you texted tell, us the other day. Dude, I've been saying it. That's what that's what I you know, I texted y'all. Um I texted y'all because Lester is is sold on the fact that even if Alabama wins out and beats Georgia in the SEC championship, they still don't make the playoff. And if you listen to this, you're like, no, nah, Alabama will be getting in. But think about it. If you think about what he's saying, there could be some truth to that because of the fact that Alabama is going to win games by 10 points. They're going to win them by six, win them by 14. Their blowouts are going to be 20 points this year, uh, you know, 25 points max. And, and, of course, I'm talking about SEC schools, not Chattanooga. Chattanooga, they'll beat them 59 to three. But, and so you got Oregon, you got Washington, you got USC beating, you know, scoring 60 points a game. And it all depends on how the committee sees it. And the problem that Alabama might have is as a, as the conference as a whole might seem a little bit down. And so if you're an Alabama fan, you kind of, you know, you need LSU to win. You need Tennessee to win. You need Texas A&M to win. You know, all these teams that you're playing, you kind of need them to win. Ole Miss, you need them to continue to win. Like I thought LSU's win in, uh, in Como this week was huge for Alabama because LSU drops and they're not in the top 25 by the time Alabama plays them. You know, you got the revenge factor because they beat you last year, but you need that ranked win on your resume. And even though it's at home, you know, you, you, you need the the ranked win for the committee. And so I don't think Alabama's capable of getting a sexy win. This is how Alabama and Tommy Reese want, or this is how Nick Saban wants to play. He wants yeah. to he wants to control the line of scrimmage. He wants to dominate the time of possession. He wants to win games twenty-seven to ten. You know, that's what he prefers. And so I think Alabama needs a sexy win, but I don't think they get it. See, I think they need a sexy win in case they somehow or another drop another conference game. Because the one loss SEC champ Alabama, but their only loss to Texas in week two, they're getting in. But to me, the kicker is what if Alabama has two losses, beats Georgia, and they're so seemingly they're penalized for playing the big game in week two when they shouldn't have been, right? So if they would have played Ball State like Georgia or somebody did and they win that game and they have time to learn about themselves and then they drop some random conference game and then win, that's what's going to piss me off is Alabama and Georgia are yeah. going to be playing in an elimination game in the SEC title game for potential playoffs, but Alabama's going to be eliminated. Alabama has to win that game because they played Texas. Georgia undefeated sitting there may not be an elimination game just because they went 12-0. and 0. See, that's, that's what I'm saying. I think Alabama needs some sexy wins. There are going to be some more close conference games, but some sexy wins. Two-loss SEC champ Alabama – that beats Georgia, I think, still has a chance to get in, but they'll definitely have to pad the resume, um, and some other things will happen. But that that scenario, I think Alabama needs if they can throttle somebody and not to jump on, not to jump on the Arkansas, everybody down on Arkansas, but if they can throttle Sam Pittman and they can make a statement with a key win against Tennessee, and if they can blow the doors off of Kentucky like Georgia did. I think that would be really good for Alabama down the stretch, as opposed to winning 27 to 10, 31 to 17. I mean, I, I think just, they need some big wins. I think if you if you were gonna get a sexy win, it needs to be LSU and Auburn. Yeah. Because if you if LSU's ranked whatever, 15th by then, 17, uh, they're seven and two or whatever, and then you beat them 38 to 10, 
then I think that sends a message to the committee because, you know, by then they're going to be, they're going to have the playoff committee. They're going to be talking every week. And then you go to Auburn and you beat Auburn, you know, 34 to 13, you beat them by three plus scores. And then they start comparing, Oh, well, Georgia only beat them by seven. You know, it was early in the season, but you you never know what this committee is going to do, but I think there's going to be too many one loss. Oh, I know. Yeah. And I sent y'all. I sent y'all a list of the one-loss teams that there could be. And, of course, we'll talk about this as we get later in the season. You're talking about Oklahoma, Texas, uh, USC, Washington, Oregon. um, Who else? Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida State, North Carolina. There's tons. There there could possibly be seven, eight, nine one-loss teams by the end of the season. Yeah, you, you know, a couple point, of them, a few of them will be 12 and one, a few of them will be 11 and one, but all of them will have an argument. So I think sexy wins are needed, but I think they're needed in every game. But, you know, in, in particular, I think that LSU and Auburn game were the two biggest ones where you need comfortable three plus touchdown victories. Guys, it's all a part of the plan. Why do you think they're going to the 12 team playoff so soon? It's because of the yeah. scenario that you just listed off with all those teams. Alabama. Like, I, I really don't think there's any scenario that Alabama gets to the playoff this year, even if they beat Georgia as a 12 and 1 SEC champion, because there's Bro, two many teams in. ahead they're of them. They're 12 and 1 SEC champions. They're not. Look, Alabama Bro, has not that... won sexy. They hate Alabama. They will give Georgia the opportunity to go to a three-peat because they have earned it over the past Ooh. two seasons. They will Alabama, do that. If Alabama beats Georgia in Atlanta and they're both 12 and 1, Alabama's in. They over think, and they they're going to put Georgia out? I think they could yeah. I think they could keep both of them out if they want no, to. No, they're, they're not going to do that again. They are That's not true. putting two SEC teams in the playoffs again because there's too many other good teams around the head to head matters. They're not going to reward that. Listen, at some point they're going to have to say Alabama played Texas. That was their loss. Georgia played nobody. Alabama beat these guys head-to-head in December. They're the better football team. Bro, you I mean, got way more faith in the playoff committee than I do. I think they're going to try to put a, East, a West Coast team in, a USD or Oregon, because they've been, you know. Listen, if there's have, a West Coast team, if if Oregon, Washington, USC, one of those teams is a one-loss conference champ, dude, I think they need to get in. If they're a one-loss conference champion, they'll probably get in. But if Alabama's a one-loss conference champ, dude, they're getting in. But the thing is, there's, there's going to be other one-loss conference champs around the country. Yeah, and Alabama's only loss is going to be the top seven Texas in week two. Ugh. I, I, I don't have the faith in the committee that y'all do, especially, when, especially picking 14. This was 12. I feel completely different. Sure. But I believe this is the last year of the 14 uh, playoff. I, I don't have that faith in the committee. Well, I mean – Alabama's five and one right now, and they're ranked eleventh. And they didn't move up after they beat yeah. Texas A and M in front of one hundred and eight thousand people. That's they're, not who the committee is. Is I know it's not, but we can't act like the committee doesn't somewhat base it off of the AP or the other polls. Like um, it's setting up. I'm telling you, do not get your hopes up in two or three weeks when the committee comes out and Alabama is ten nine whatever it is. So I'm you just, think USC not, with the 120th ranked defense would get in the playoffs over Alabama? One lost conference champ, USC. I'm just saying Alabama, the SEC is guaranteed a spot if there's a one lost champion. I'm just saying. I don't know, man. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I, 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 dude, I'm, 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 I'm telling I, you. 
I might decide Lester on this. I, I can't lie. I, I don't trust the committee as far as I can throw them. And they hate us. Be number one Georgia in Atlanta. Taylor, you can't you can't bring logic into this conversation. No. I'm telling you. The committee is not. They've never been illogical. But they've never had this opportunity. And they've screwed us in the past. The thing is, their criteria changes year to year. One year's the eye test. One year's the record. One year's the head to head. We have no. Bro, we made the playoff and we didn't even go to the SEC championship. That's, what I'm talking about. That, that's, that's a, the thing. That's a completely different year. Like every the reason I wanted a six man playoff, a six team playoff, is because I didn't think that every single year you had more than six teams that were capable of winning a national championship. Now this Correct. parody and this transfer portal has changed my opinion on that. I think there are legit 10, 12 teams that can win a natty. Um, you get them in the playoff, anything can happen. You get a hot offense, hot defense, whatever the case is. Um, because I mean, even last year, Alabama had two losses and they were still favored over every team that made the playoff, except for Georgia and, right, and yep. Vegas. I mean, y'all remember that. And Nick Saban yep. brought that up. So it the committee, I mean, they put TCU in. TCU got beat 65 to 7 in the natty. And that's because on paper, TCU should have gotten in, but that's not always going to be the case. And in 2017, there were there were not, you know, Ohio State got beat by Purdue. You remember that year? Got got beat by like like 56 to 20. Got the right. hell beat out of them. And uh, and you know, Alabama loses a game on the road at Auburn right before the conference championship. So that's a completely different year. But now nah, this year, I might. I mean, the committee could easily say if Alabama's 11 and 1 and Georgia's 12 and 0 and they beat Georgia they can make the argument that Georgia played a weak schedule so they weren't very good and Alabama exposed that yet Alabama lost at home in week 2 so well, you'll, but the thing about the committee is you know what they think because they make the rankings so like if they think Georgia's really good at the first ranking they'll be in the top 3 but the real reason they're going to 12 is for money Number one in the playoff, but you got James Franklin called out Michigan for buying out all of their big games this week. So, like, they're, they want better regular season games, too. So, when you get to 12 teams, these games that we have scheduled against Notre Dame, Ohio State, Virginia Tech, blah, 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 like, nobody will care anymore because you're going to make the playoff if you win your conference. Yeah, right, which, yeah, so 12-team playoff I think would be incredibly fun this week uh, or this year. But, uh, yeah, in the past, I've always thought there was only four or five teams that were capable of winning it. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, that That's a conversation that will that'll take place in, in a few weeks whenever the playoff committee comes out and announces their top 25. Um, but, uh, Lester, real quick, does Bama cover the 19, do you think, this week? Uh, mm, um, yes. I will say – I will say Bama will cover – it'll be, what, 34, I'll say 34-13 because I have the feeling that um, he'll be for Arkansas. is going to cough it up or toss it up to one of our DVs and we get a non-offensive touchdown this week. J-Law, who's your bet of the week? I know you kind of – you had to get off last week before we got that down, but I picked LSU minus six and a half. They covered for me with a late pick six. Lester picked Oklahoma at the time. It was six and a half, and Oklahoma ended up winning the game outright. So we both hit ours. Um, who's your better of the week this week? Who do you like? I like Oregon, not only as a plus two and a half. I like them to win. 
I think they're better than Washington. I know Michael Penix Jr. is good, but I like Bo Nix. I like Dan Lanning in big games. I like the Oregon defense, the way they play. Um, I just I like Oregon in that game, so I'll take Oregon plus two and a half. Good pick. Yeah, going to be tough on the road, but that's going to be a tremendous matchup. And, um, hey, quick question, J-Law. Both of those teams are undefeated, ranked ahead of Alabama. Does the loser drop below Alabama this week? If it's Washington, yes, because Washington, what, like a couple weeks ago, they won 28-21, and it kind of yeah. cooled off those Michael Penix Jr. talks. But um, maybe not – I mean, Oregon, what have they really done? I mean, they almost lost to Texas Tech on the road. They beat the hell out of Dion, which kind of put them on the map this year. That's the thing about Alabama. They played one really big hyped-up game, and they lost it, and everybody quit on them. Um, so, if yeah, I think if either one of those teams lose – they should probably drop below us. Maybe I still would not be surprised if they're right in front of us. Is Alabama the highest one one loss team right now? Uh, Texas isn't, aren't they? Well, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, okay. So now, yeah, before last week it was Alabama. Now it, it would be Texas because it'd be Alabama head to head. That makes sense. Right. Um, my bit of the week. I'm going to go bounce back game for A and M. They're in Knoxville, but here's the thing. Tennessee, kind of the opposite of what they had last year. Last year, the run game wasn't great. They really relied on Hendon Hooker to push the ball downfield. Jalen Hyatt, Alabama, put him on the map with his five touchdowns, and he took off for the second half of the year until they got beat by South Carolina. But Joe Milton has not been able to figure out this passing offense. He's been incredibly inaccurate. He's been turning the ball over. A&M's got the number one rush defense in the in the conference. Um and Tennessee's really relied on that run game. I think they're running for over 250 yards a game. And uh, and and so I think A&M really shuts that down, especially the way Tennessee runs it. You know, you don't really – you know, you, you don't really run a tight end a ton. You have a lot of, of, of five-man blocking schemes and six at the most, and they try to run it with that. And I don't think Joe Milton has the wheels to do any damage himself in the run game. And uh, I know A&M, their secondary just got exposed, so you would think Tennessee would be able to exploit that. But Jalen Milrow has been better than Joe Milton this year. I I thought those two guys had a lot of similarities with having the big arms, being able to push the ball downfield. But Joe Milton has been terribly inaccurate. And uh, Jalen Milrow has been more accurate than we thought he'd be. Of course, his turnovers have still been a problem, but he's been more accurate than we thought he'd be so far halfway through the season. So I'm going to take A&M on the road plus three and a half. Tennessee can still win the game, you know, 28-27, something like that. But I think it's played in the high 20s. And I think A&M gets under the three and a half. Lester, what do you have for your bet of the week? Hey, we're all taking teams on the road because I am going to take USC Mm. plus two and a half. I'm going to take USC to outright win against Notre Dame. Um. Notre Dame, I, I I just don't see it. Um, even it's though like they're going to play what by Louisville, dude. Right, I just don't see it. Um, I think USD comes in. Um, they're still a team on the mission right now, and I think they're going to look like a statement in a big high profile game, um, in prime time on the road. So yeah, I think uh, USD plus two and a half over Notre Dame. And yeah, that's a that's a good pick, man. Because Notre Dame, like they started the year. Playing Navy, they were the first college football game of the season, and then, right, um, you know, they had to play Ohio State at home where they lost a heartbreaker. Then you got to go on the road at Duke. They won another one one score game, won that game in the, in the final minute, 
and then you got to go to Louisville and you get embarrassed. So Notre Dame's had one of the toughest schedules in the country so far. This will be, let's see, one, two, three. This will be their fourth straight ranked game. And uh, so, you know, very tough week in and week out to continue to grind, and they got to be banged up as a team. Um, yeah. Sam Hartman doing about all his, all he can. But finally, the after last week, the Tommy Reese criticism stopped up there, <laughs> at least for a little <laughs> bit. But, yeah, Lester, I love that pick too, man. Yeah, I was surprised to see Notre Dame favorite two and a half points. Right. That was yeah. crazy to me. Maybe, you know, cross country, it's a rivalry. Sure. You never know what's going to happen in this game. Right. But, uh, yeah, I love it. All right, guys, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, that's it, man. Got y'all some uh, premature college football playoff talk. So, y'all enjoy that. Texas, what you think about it? What's your thoughts on it? But, yeah, that'll come out soon. Um, Till next week, Roll Tide, episode 93, Gump Runners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law, we're out.